while you uh, enjoy this little bit of artwork, let me read you from Luke chapter 24. Well, you enjoy this little bit of artwork, let me read you from As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it, and he ate before them. Now this is a, a kind of a fun little passage because it's right after the resurrection and Jesus comes and we're kind of, what's his point to his disciples? I am real and physical. I'm not some ghost. Okay. What he says, right? They thought they saw a spirit. He's like, guys, me. Touch me. See, look, it's me. He's physical. To prove it, right? What does he do? He says, guys, got any food? gave him a piece of broiled fish. And what did he do? He eats it. He didn't eat the broiled fish necessarily because he's hungry. He ate the fish to prove that he was real. The resurrection wasn't some spiritual thing. He rose from the dead with flesh and bones. And there's some really big implications for eternity with that. Because God, from the beginning of creation created a universe with both physical and spiritual characteristics that are, to some degree, separated from one another, right? You don't easily see into the spiritual realm. You have some contact with it, but not the same way, for example, angels are. Right now, we live in a physical place, Right? The spiritual reality that also exists, but it's not front and center in the sense that we easily move among it. But it does have effect on the physical universe. And then, as we pointed out last week, when we die, we are temporarily separated from the physical. The immaterial part of us separates from the physical part of us. What we can see here in Jesus' resurrection, sort of the first fruits of eternity where the physical and the spiritual are rejoined. Now remember last week, we talked about what happens seconds after we die. And we don't like to think about that, but it happens. And seconds after, we talked about what happens. That we're taken to be in the presence of God. We're fully aware. You're not, you don't go to sleep or something. You're not that. You are fully aware, taken by the angels to the presence of God. You see God's glory and have some glimpses of what heavenly worship is and that sort of thing. But the present heaven, the place where God is right now, wherever that might be, and I can't fly there in a plane, but it's somewhere, is not where you're going to spend eternity. 
sort of intermediate because it's between this body and the resurrected body that someday we get in the future. Because the goal of eternal life is not just salvation from sin, although that obviously kind of important. It is resurrection. It is complete restoration. We will receive new bodies, and our immaterial aspect will be joined to a physical existence for eternity. That is the end game. And so the question for this Sunday is, where will we spend? We're not going to spend eternity in heaven, and by heaven, I mean the present heaven. Where are we going to be? Where are we going to be in our resurrected, new, I'm thinking, super fit body? Yeah. I my resurrected body now.
abuse or destroy it, and there's a sermon right there. But he was to nurture it. Okay? Remember that, that work is not part of the fall. Okay? Having meaningful labor, meaningful purpose is not something that's after the fall. It's just it gets really frustrating after the fall. You work and work and work, and you know, the horse still tries to drag the hay out of Cancer and earthquakes and war and racism and poverty, 
original creation. They are a part of what happens after sin enters the world because the creation is corrupted and awaits final redemption. And according to Paul, it cannot be redeemed until mankind's redemption is complete. That might lead you to the question, well, what are we waiting for? I mean, pretty unhappy out there. Why haven't we gotten this redemption yet? What's God waiting for? Well, 2 Peter 3 9 tells us the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient for you, not wishing um, that anyone should perish, but all should reach repentance. God is allowing for a time for people to repent, to turn from their sin, and turn to Christ. That time isn't forever. That time will end and the time of judgment will come. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And whatever eschatological scheme you might have, we could have multiple sermons on that sometimes, it all demands that it ends the same. Just as there's a resurrected body, there's going to be a resurrected or a recreated or a renewed or however you want to call it, new heaven and earth. Because the old one, just like my old body, and I can say that now because I feel pretty old in the Just like this body is corrupted, and this creation is corrupted, this body will be resurrected. And this creation will be resurrected. There will be a new heaven. And a new world. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Now we're at the end. We're just at the beginning of the Bible, right? So now we're all the way at the end. Here, if you're my favorite Bible, you're now you went from like page 2 to page 1198. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And jump to the next chapter. Chapter 22 at the beginning says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing through the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now I read those descriptions to you. Does any of that sound familiar? God present with man, river, tree of 
tree of life, no sin, right? There's a lot of parallels. So we got this nice little chart. Because Stacy likes charts. Right? You got a lot of engineers. Engineering types like charts. Okay, Alberto smiles. You know, I'll get a chart. <laughs> <laughs>
before that, you have been reversed. All injustices have been made right at that point. I mean, you may not see justice in this life, but by then, everything is just and done. And then there's one last component in this eternal abode. And that is what I think Jesus may have been describing in John 14. I know, in my Father's house for many rooms, the mansions, the dwelling places, and whatnot. What does God's house look like? Well, it looks like the new Jerusalem. Verse 20, chapter 21, starting in verse 9. Then came seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and they spoke to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride wife of the Lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven to God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the twelve gates, twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold and measured the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square, its length is the same with its width. He measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia, its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which was also the angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth breastplate, the eleventh jason, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does it is detestable or false, but only those who are rich in the land will be. So he describes this thing. And you know, always John's descriptions are always love like this, sort of like that, sort of like this. Because he's trying to describe things he doesn't really have words to describe. Okay? So he sees this big thing coming out of New Jerusalem. It's big, right? The Bible uses Roman measurements, 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,400 miles on the side. So it's a little bigger than one of those people. Um, and walls a couple hundred feet thick. Got these huge gates made from single pearls, right? So you get the, the pearly gates party sort of get where they get that um, Walls are made of diamonds. That's like that. Jasper, and five of diamonds, eight of diamonds. Precious jewels, trees, you know. It's so awesome. John doesn't really know how exactly. It's that good. It's incredible. Not its foundations are the names of the apostles, right? It's the foundation on which the church is built. And some people say, you know, Benedict's foundry was shaped like a cube or shaped like a pyramid, right? Because both of them have length, width, and height for these things. 
Now I'm arguing for a few. Because pyramids in ancient times were always pagan temples. Egypt, tombs, lions, and Incas, right? All their pagan temples are pyramids. What was Israel's temple? Huge. Holy of Holies, according to 1 Kings 6.20, she's like a cube, right? That's where the ark was kept, where God appeared on the day of atonement. It was 20 by 20 by 20 cubits. So it was about 30 feet on each side and 30 feet high. Huge. Lined with pure gold. That was the Holy of Holies. What is the New Jerusalem made of? Pure gold. Because Hebrews 8 5 says, when it's talking about things like the temple and the ark and that sort of thing, it says, They serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Hebrews goes on to talk about how the earthly tabernacle and temple and the ark and those things patterned after heavenly realities. The earthly temple is somehow a copy of the heavenly temple. So I think New Jerusalem is being described as the ultimate temple. Because God's presence is there fully in all of his glory. And unlike the Old Testament temple, you don't have to go in only once a year with blood, because guess what? You're already covered by blood. You can go at any time. You're already invited into God's presence. And it's all lit by His radiant glory. And you experience His presence and His glory is everywhere there in New Jerusalem. So the gates are never closed. Right? That was pearly gates. Some scholars, you know, I, I never know how much to make of some of this stuff. I, I read a long scholarly article one time with the reason the gates of pearls is that pearls are created by the suffering of an oyster, right? The oyster gets the grain of sand in and, you know, suffers as it rolls that grain of sand around, you know, kind of, you get some stuff in your teeth, but we give the oyster a toothpick, and eventually you get a pearl. So they're made by the suffering of the oyster. And since nobody can enter the new Jerusalem, the temple, except through the suffering of Jesus, that's why they're pearls. You know, I never know what to make of Because some scholar writes an article like that, and I go, yeah, that's kind of cool. Makes for good preaching. Yeah, is that really what God had in mind? Yeah. But if you think that for us, okay, some scholar out there believes that. So God bless him. Well, what's great is, is what he says about the gates never being closed. Remember, ancient walled cities had gates you closed at night for security, right? That keeps the barbarians out. But heaven has perfect security and peace. The New Jerusalem is perfect through heaven's work. There's no sin, there's no need for protection, because what he's saying is no, no one detestable over there, no one, no one evil. But instead, just a glorious temple, with this glorious new heavens and new earth, where God and all of the people ransomed by the blood of Jesus will dwell together for eternity in their resurrected physical bodies. Because it's a physical place. A renewal, a recreation of this creation. The real physicality. 
So you know, in June of last year, 1,036 people died in an earthquake in Afghanistan. You remember that last year? Really bad. 1,036 people died. We don't even have a count of how many civilians and soldiers have died so far in this whole Ukraine and Russia. Thousands of people have died. How many more are going to die before that? In the world, I go on. World's in bad shape. And then each of us has our own personal pain, right? In the first four months of this year, my dad died. I was sick twice. And then I flipped backwards over a folding chair and I'm still recovering from that injury. Some mornings I still wake up in my backwards. My body seems to mirror the state of the world sometimes. But you know what? There's a new world coming. Not the new world order of the elites and, you know, might get ideas of certain pictures on the back of the one dollar bill. I'm talking a new heaven and a new earth and a glorious temple that, that our perfection where we'll spend eternity. A place where the physical and the spiritual are, are one just as they were in the beginning. A place where there's no longer pain no more mourning, there's no more disease, there's no more death, there's no, no more any of the horrors that we suffer on a regular basis. And best of all, this and that, is the glorious, beautiful presence of God. He will be our God, and we will be his people. That's the dwelling place of God is all around us. And that's where everyone who put their trust in Christ, born and died once again for their sins, has to look forward to the future. Let's pray. Father, we think about your word, and we know that so many of these things described, John, John was trying to describe with human words things he almost had no real capacity to explain. But there's definitely some truths we take to heart and that we're so grateful for that an eternity awaits that will be like it was meant to be. Sin ruined what was to be. But Jesus moving us back toward the renewal of all things. That when we are resurrected, we will someday enter an eternity of perfection, just as it was in the beginning. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more mourning and crying or suffering or pain or disease or any of the natural evils that beset this creation. But instead, the dwelling place of God will be with us. And we will be with you, and you will be our God, and we will be your people face to face. In your glory, forevermore. I thank you, in Jesus' name, for his work and by his name.